this and said, hello, everyone, and there was absolute silence. I tell you what, it is so good to be somewhere where they actually respond, where you actually respond. It's really nice. I had to do it a second time. Then they woke up. After all, we did get an hour less sleep last night, right? So I guess in the morning, you know, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, did you notice the words that we just sang? We declare the praises of Jesus, Saviour and King. That's what we do when we explain the Bible, when we talk about the Scriptures together, when we preach this Gospel of Jesus Christ. We declare the praises of Jesus, Saviour and King. And this Jesus is the one who we heard a little earlier, is the one who said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so this is the middle one of a series of three weeks where we look at each one of those assertions of Jesus, I'm the way, the truth and the life, and we think about those ones a little bit more deeply. So last week we talked about how we come to Jesus, I'm the way, and next week we're going to look at the life, and we'll talk about that in a little while, and next week as well. But when we come to think about the uh, truth, Truth is a bit of a slippery sort of idea. Oh, I didn't bring it. I hope you all have your Bibles open and I hope you all have one of those little pieces of paper outline things which has got places to take notes and a little outline of where I'm going on the back of it. Last week we looked at how Jesus is the only way to God and we stepped on some of the toes of what I'm going to be saying tonight. So if you're here last week, that's good because you'll actually build on what we heard last week. What, part of what we saw last week was that in our age, in our world, in the, the, the time we live, especially over the past 50 years, truth has become very individualised. Uh, it's, it, it's certainly in the realm of religion and to an extent morality we allow, no, in fact, we do more than allow, we insist on personal freedom. Freedom to believe whatever you want and, and up to a point to act however you want as long as it doesn't offend or hurt someone else. But it's not just in the area of morality or religion. Truth has become individualised in a number of other areas previously that have sort of been more unassailable factual. For example... Did we land on the moon or didn't we? I wasn't there. I watched it live, I think. Um, did the Holocaust happen or didn't it? Do vaccines help prevent disease or do they just fill us up with microchips? I know, I mean, they could be coming through the door any minute. They are things that, in a sense, a generation ago, we, we just accepted all of that and now there are some who call all of this into question and call these things that we have accepted for so long as lies. And what's more, even though we all want and we need people actually to tell us truth, all of us indulge in falsehood. We all tell lies. I remember years ago when I was talking like this to another group of people, I said, we all tell lies, everyone here tells lies, everyone here is a liar. And I got someone come up to me at the end of the night and said, how dare you call me a liar? You don't know me from it. I'm not a liar. And I said, well, do you ever tell a lie? They said, yes, of course I do. 
what do you mean then? You're not a liar. I said, oh, I don't do it all the time. Well, that's nice to hear, I thought. But we all do it. And we salve our consciences. We, we make ourselves feel better about it by calling them white lies or, or we do it for the good of the other person. You know, that's why we're telling these falsehoods. Though I've noticed in general, our lies are actually more about protecting ourselves than the other person. So even though we all want people to tell us the truth, we so often practice this double standard and we don't tell others the truth. Now, I'm not saying for a moment, just like the other person heard, I'm not saying we lie all the time. I'm not saying every conversation we ever have is full of lies and we can't... No, no, no. But when the pressure is on, when it comes down to it, when the question comes to you, at the very least, the desire to tell a falsehood, the desire to deceive can be immense. Now, perhaps you don't think this is an issue for you. Perhaps you don't think telling lies is, is a problem that you have. Well, I remember thinking that. And I was given this challenge, so I'm going to give it to you. Try to go for a week without telling any sort of lie. No deception, no falsehood, no half-truth, nothing like that. Just truth the whole time. See if you can just go one week. I remember giving this challenge to somebody years ago and they came back to me after, after a week and they said, that wasn't fair. Oh, okay. A week's too long. I can't go for a whole week with it. Okay, we'll try it for 24 hours. Came back next week. He said, well, that wasn't fair. You don't understand the world that I live in. See? And I know that this is true of you and of me not because I have to know you personally, but because this is what the Bible teaches me about humanity, that teaches me about people. In Jeremiah 17, it says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, at our very core is deceit, is, is a lie. So we all have a huge problem with truth, but truth is necessary. Now, telling a falsehood has some obvious implications. For example, if you tell someone to turn left when they should be going right, then we've misled them, right? And they could end up places that, you know, they didn't want to go. They could actually end up in danger, danger that they weren't expecting. Wrong information can lead to bad outcomes, and that's not a matter of opinion, it's a matter of fact. Uh, my brother-in-law was once travelling overseas, I won't tell you which country, uh, he was in a regional city and he wanted, he'd run out of cash and he needed to find an ATM. Now, of course, it wasn't called an ATM in the country he was in, but put that aside. And he said, the, the person he asked said, oh, I'll show you where it is. Come with me. Now, as he went... The neighbourhood became dingier and dingier and sleazier and, and eventually my brother-in-law ran for it because he could feel the danger coming. He was more and more not just in fear of being mugged but he was actually starting to be in fear of his life. And see, that leads to another aspect of not speaking the truth. Lies are destructive 
even so-called good lies, because when we are told lies, it does something very fundamental. What it does is it destroys trust. If you can't tell me the truth, then I can't trust you. The deepest part of any relationship is trust. And that's what delineates a friend from an acquaintance. A friend is someone that, that you can trust. And when they tell us lies, then they destroy that trust and we know that we can no longer rely on them in quite the same way. Now, that happens at a whole lot of different levels, of course, and we can go through it all. But, you know, someone who misleads you about who paid for dinner may still be reliable when the crisis comes and you need really major help. But how can you be sure? How can you be sure that you can trust them? And this means that our relationship is fundamentally altered. We are increasingly isolated as we become less and less convinced that someone is there for us, he's here for us, you know, they'll, they'll be on our side because they weren't then, were they? See, being a true friend doesn't just mean telling you the truth, but it means being there, it means being faithful, it means being reliable, never giving up, never varnishing the truth for the sake of your own comfort. And this leads us to Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. So it's a, it's a strange thing to say about yourself, isn't it? I am the truth. Now the first thing I want to get out of the way is that Jesus really existed. Now, I hope if, if you're here tonight and you have never thought about Jesus, you've never come to think in these terms, if you've never sat down and, and really examined what's going on, I want to re reassure you, Jesus really existed. Now, that's not what he's saying here. Jesus, by saying, I am the truth, he's not saying, well, I'm really here. That'd be a weird thing to say, isn't it? You know, he'd just say, touch me or whatever. Uh, he's standing there. Of course he exists. But it is worth saying, because over the past 200 years, there have been those who deny the existence of Jesus, that he even walked on this planet. But there can be little doubt, even if you don't accept the gospel accounts, that Jesus actually walked on the earth, in Palestine. And we can actually date him quite accurately. He was born about 4 BC. That's a weird thing, isn't it? He was born four years before himself. Uh, he died in Palestine in the reign of Tiberius Caesar about 33 AD. So, yeah, that's his life. 4 BC, roughly, through to 33 AD. And we have documentary evidence, not just the Gospels, though that's certainly there, written between 30 and 60 years after his death, but we also have mentions by other people, in particular, for example, the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, who in about 90 AD was writing a history of what happened for the Romans and wrote this in the Antiquities. Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. 
You see, Jesus was certainly true in that sense. He walked on our earth. He stepped Palestine. But there's, there's another sense. He is utterly reliable. That he always delivers on his promises. He never fails to keep his commitments. And he always told the truth so that those around him were never misled by him. Now, that doesn't mean people always understood him. He wasn't always easy to understand. It wasn't always just, hey, this is plain and clear. And he was certainly not often accepted, but he was never false. He was completely trustworthy in what he said and what he did, which actually gives real weight to what he says just before John 14, 6 that we read when he's speaking to the disciples about what's about to happen, when he's talking about his death to come, John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The Father's house, my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? See, Jesus is saying, you know me. You know I deliver on the promises I make. And whatever else is about to happen, and of course Jesus knows what's about to happen, the disciples don't yet know, I will not forget you. In fact, I'm preparing a place for you. Now that, that's an extraordinary claim when you think about it. If if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've perhaps grown up in a Christian household then that'll just slip right past and you won't just see how extraordinary that is. In the next few hours, Jesus will be arrested, sham-tried and crucified. And Jesus is promising to care for them even after he's died. How extraordinary is that? You might say it's impossible except that Jesus has already done so many impossible things in his life. And, of course, we who know more of the story, we know that Jesus does continue to live. And these men, these disciples who sat in that upper room with him, who had walked and talked and watched and lived with him for the past three years, trusted him. Many years later, they spent their lives preaching about him. They were awfully persecuted for him and they went to their deaths for him. There was something about this man that meant people who knew him trusted him, even after he had died. Which, when we know the rest of the story, makes sense. Because he didn't stay dead, did he? He rose again, but... That's next week's talk. Let's not go there. So what does this teach us about truth? Well, it teaches us the truth about death. See, this faithfulness of God, this this promise of God, of Jesus, transcends death, shows us the truth about death. That death is not truly the end. There is life beyond the grave. And that death, while it does come to everyone, is not the last word. It's not the final big full stop on life that is so widely held. 
And that changes things for us, whether we're Christian or not yet a Christian, uh, because death, when it's no longer the end, means that there is something beyond it, and that something beyond it means that we will need to make an account for what's gone on. Jesus is going to his father's house. Now, that's not the house of Joseph, his physical father, if you want, the one who was grew up and he learnt the trade from, but it's the ways we saw last week of Jesus talking about God, his father. And he's going to God's house. He's going to heaven and prepare a place for those who follow him. You see, the Bible tells us that death is only a symptom. It's not the ultimate crusher. It's not the ultimate problem. Sin is the ultimate problem. We all think death is the worst thing that can happen. No, no, no. Sin is the worst thing that can happen. Death is just an outcome of sin. Sin is when we turn our backs on God and ignore him. When we want self-rule, when we want independence, when we want no one to tell us what to do, especially not God. And this rebellion, this sin, cuts us off from God, cuts us off from life. And brings us under God's judgment. But Jesus is saying that those who follow him will have life in God's house after that judgment. And he's guaranteeing that to his followers. He's going there to prepare it for them. But it also teaches us about life. That it's not just physical life. Life, the optimus, is not just an extension of physical life. We can't escape the fact that we will physically die. As I get older and my body slowly crumbles around me, in fact, I remember at one time in my life, I used to call old people crumblies. It's all come back to hit me again, hasn't it? Hmm. Uh, it's the thought of the simple extension of life is less and less appealing. Rather, and I was very tempted to play youth group at this stage, I want to live forever young. Right? Very tempted, but I didn't do it. I want to be young forever. That is not just to have life extended out, but to have a quality of life, to have an overflowing life what the Bible calls eternal life, which is not just about an extent of time, but it's about a quality of life, where life is something that is reveled in, is enjoyed, is, 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 is an amazing thing to do. Amazing thing to have. And it's where all suffering and pain and tears are gone because we are no longer disconnected from our purpose, but connected with it, connected with our maker, connected with him who made us, the one who gave us life, who put us together and gave us the breath and gave us everything good. Now, I think we often treat God very badly in the way that we think about him. We often think of him as the, that sort of great killjoy in heaven whose favourite thing to say is no. Whenever you want to do anything, what God says is no. Whenever you want to have fun, the answer is no. Do not do it. 
And his universal outlook is that frown, you know, don't you, and the wagging finger, don't you do it. It's all about commandments and no. Now, that's an awful view of God. That's a terrible way to think about him. He's actually a generous God who holds back no good gift, who delights in giving us good things. James 1 says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. It's October 2 today. And if you've been to the shops lately, you'll see that the Christmas stuff is already out. Now, there are things I hate about Christmas. I hate the hype, the advertising, the greed, the want, want, want of it all. It's absolutely awful. And in my and our family, when my kids were much younger, we thought about and we seriously considered trying to ignore it altogether. But we didn't. Partly because, of course, you couldn't possibly actually ignore it, could you? How could you do that? You'd have to homeschool the kids. You'd have to turn off the television, the radio, not have any newspapers, close all the windows so they couldn't see what was going on outside. It'd just be impossible to do that, wouldn't it? And, of course, this was well before smartphones. It was just barraging. But also because we like giving gifts to our kids. It's one of the joys of life to do that. While the materialism and the greed of it all is awful, the fun and the joy and the anticipation of giving is, is really quite something else. And if we are like that, how much more willing to give us good things is our Father in heaven? God gives us every good thing. It's, it's not that God gives us everything we want. That's patently not true. But that everything that is good comes from God. Anything in life that is enjoyable, that is, that is fun, we only have because God has given it to us. And it is when we are rightly connected to him that we have true purpose and meaning in life as we understand what we're made for. And that is what the Bible calls righteousness. Righteousness is not about being goody-two-shoes, primarily. Righteousness is not just about doing good things, certainly not about being better than everyone else. It's actually a sense of belonging to God to being part of God's family because he has graciously brought us in. And being in that family gives us meaning and purpose because now we can live the way we were meant to live, living the way God has designed us for. And if you think about it, that's the way, of course, that it should be. After all, if God made life and he gave it to us, then you've got to admit he's quite likely to know the best way to live it. I'm going to ask for a really huge moment of imagination for many of you. Many years ago, there were these things called VCRs, right? Video cassette recorders. Some of you laugh because some of you remember them. They were these incredibly complex little pieces of 
that were, they had manuals like this to understand how to, to program them. And you, almost nobody knew how to program a, a VCR. All you did was you turned it on to record, you turned it off at the end of it, and you hoped it worked. 90% of people only use 10% of the VCR. To use it properly, you would have to read the manual. Or at the very least, do the things the way it was meant to do. The way the maker made it. Or else it might just give up. Now, when my daughter, Erin, who's now just turned 35 the other day, when she was very little, we were given our first VCR by my mother for my 30th birthday. It was a Panasonic and it was amazing. It had only been out for a little while and we were using it, watching stuff and recording things and having a great time and then it stopped working. Really annoyed. And, you know, I'm reasonably handy and I know electronics. I was fiddling with it and couldn't make it work and I thought, can't take it apart because I'll void the warranty. So I call Panasonic. They come to the house. They send someone out to the house. It's going to cost back then for a lot of money unless it was truly under warranty. And he looked at it for a little while and then he called out to me, Ken, and said, yes. He said, do you have children? Yes. Yeah. Put in his little tweezers and pulled out from inside where you put the video cassette, a car. <laughs> he said, try to tell them not to post things in it, will you? Okay. He said, strictly speaking, this should not be a warranty repair but I'm going to make this one a warranty repair. Oh, thank you so much. Right? Things have got to be used the way they're meant to be used. You see what I mean? The same is true for life. To live a full and abundant, joyous life, you need to know and to consult the maker. You have to go and look for the manual, the way to use it. Find out how he made us to function and to live that way. It's a much more enjoyable, it's much more realistic, and it has a better outcome for everyone. The full life, the purposeful life, is only a reflection of the fact that we now live in right relationship to God. And all that is because Jesus is the truth. He is the true and faithful one whose promises span death and never fail. So what's reliable? Well, we've covered a lot of ground today about truth and purpose and the outcome of it all hinges on one question. Who can you rely on? Where do you look to find the truth about life and meaning? In our world... We're basically wanted to, we're told that we should make up our own meaning and truth. We're told over and over again to find our dream, follow our dream. And if you do that, then everything's going to be all right, yeah? But the reality is, from certainly from what I see, is that so many people live in constant frustration of not being able to live their dream, no matter how hard they try or even sometimes, of knowing what the dream is. You see, we're not completely free beings. We're not able to just do whatever we want. There are so many restrictions and responsibilities on us. 
Now, we might like the idea of spending every day at the beach surfing, but except for people like Lane Beachley or Mark Opalupo, and you fill in the names that you know, and a few other people, how do you live? Sand doesn't get you very far. Or the other thing you can do is you can drop your dreams. I don't want to you know, spend every day at the beach. All I want to do is I'm going to make it a bit more trivial and a bit more crass, and I'm going to say, well, who is the next person I can hook up with? What's the next promotion in the job I can get? What's the next overseas holiday I can go on and then subtly compete with my friends over how good it was and where I went and how much I drank and all of those sorts of things? Like, what is it? But none of those things, none of them are fulfilling. And none of them reliably help us understand the way we were created to live. But Jesus does. Because he is the truth. The truth. He gives us meaning and purpose and is absolutely trustworthy in every way. So many times I know that I look for collegial praise. Gee, you did a good job there, Ken. Or even praise from my congregation. When you stand up here and you give a talk and people come up to you, that was a great... Somebody said to me this morning, that was a cracker. That could mean a couple of things and knowing him it could have meant the... No, no. Um, Like, it's really nice to hear those things. But that's not what it's all about. What what I really want you to hear is... What I want to hear from you is what's challenged you and what's what's changing you and what, what haven't you thought about before and what's encouraged you. Not just as a cracker of a sermon. As nice as those things are, my real meaning, your real meaning, can only come from the true and faithful one, Jesus Christ. He has no hidden agendas. He has no reason that he should falsely praise me. And he needs nothing from me. So his praise is genuine. His rebuke is genuine. His love is genuine. If you're a Christian here, what areas of your life, what areas are you holding back and thinking that you know better than Jesus? If he's the truth, why do we think we know better than him? And we so often do. How often have you said to yourself, you just don't understand what my life is like? But he does. And if you aren't yet a Christian, do you want to find someone who will give you real meaning and purpose in life? Someone who is so utterly faithful, so utterly reliable, so utterly truthful, that you can be completely confident in everything that he says and everything that he promises. If you would like to know that, then consider Jesus. And we'd love to help you know more about that. You can do that a couple of ways. You can come and talk to Lauren or myself afterwards. You can talk to a Christian who, who might have brought you tonight. You can send in a, a question on the connection card. That there's a, on the connection form, there's a 
a, um, an, a QR code that Lauren will talk about in a little while. We love to get your questions. We love to get your comments. We love to get your prayer points. But in particular tonight, if you're at the point where you want to know more about Christ in order to follow him, in order to understand this uh, faithful one, then please reach out tonight. Do something about it tonight. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may we see with real clarity the invitation that you are making to us to rely on you through the faithful and true Jesus. Open our eyes to the reality of life without you and the enormous freedoms and joys we can have when we live the way you have created us to live. May we trust in Jesus as the only truth and in doing so, knowing the way to you and being given real life. Thank you that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Amen. Now we're going to sing. We're going to sing a song called Here is Love, Deep as the Ocean. And it's all about Jesus.